Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, where I, Casey, sit down with a couple other amazing ladies to dig up the dirt on the undead in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. For this episode, I've resurrected Mieka and Pepperina so we can sink our teeth into this episode called Undead from Realms Beyond the Realms Beyond. For this episode on the It's a Mimic channel, we are going to travel to Eberron and Ravnica and look at the undead that run the place in their respective lands. But before we get any further into this topic, I want to ask, what's worse in your opinion? Wandering aimlessly and being stuck in an infinite loop? Being forced to stand guard for an infinite amount of time? Or working the same job for a nearly endless amount of time? Let's roll initiative. Oh boy. So I left all my dice in Canada. So <laughs> somebody no. Miega. I know. All right. all right. I'm gonna roll a blue dice for Miega and a red dice for me. So <laughs> thank you. Miega, you got a one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know what? That's on brand. <laughs> and I got a 14. <laughs> And I got a nine, so I'm right in the middle. All right. Oh, so I go first. Um, I think standing guard for an infinite amount of time because I do not do well staying in place or like sitting still or standing still. Um, that's the ADHD in me. I can't not be moving. So being forced to stand in one spot for eternity would be horrible. Yeah. I think that one has to be the top two. Like wandering aimlessly and being stuck in a loop would be like mentally horrific. Mm -hmm. But I feel like being forced to stand guard for an infinite amount of time would be mentally and physically debilitating. So mm -hmm. takes the cake. Yeah, I can't do the infinite loop thing. That's, that's <laughs> I would get annoyed quick. And then working the same job for nearly an endless amount of time. Uh, I don't like that one either. I don't like anything, <laughs> but like being forced to stand guard um, for an infinite amount of time. That's fine. Because I feel like something new can happen every day. You yeah, know, like things <laughs> could happen in front of you. You just can't. Right. Do it. Mm -hmm. I feel like working the same job is what I'm already doing. I've been here for 20 years. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Like, I'm already like... stuck in that loop. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all been there? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we are going to dive into some deep lore today. And I just wanted to kick off things with a bit of a disclaimer on pronunciations. We are being thrown a lot today. And so I ask you just to be extra kind. And thank you, Adam, for any corrections in advance. <laughs> just every yes. two minutes, Adam popping in on us. <laughs> Actually, it's yes. <laughs> so we are trying nonetheless We're trying <laughs> and with that um Mieka, i think you kick it off with the undying court yes so all right before i hit on the undying court i'm gonna talk about the island of Arnold. that's what i'm gonna call it and I like yeah yeah <laughs> you can find um, information about this island in Eberron on pages 132 to 134. So this is known as like an ancient kingdom of elves. The land is very, very resourceful and basically sits uh, between two particular planes. And so you have the Iranian plane 
or the plane of Iranian and the plane of Mabar. One side, which is the Iranian plane, emits very positive energy. And then the other plane, uh, Mabar, emits very negative energy. And because of this, the elves that live here are like fantastic necromancers. So according to Eberron, necromancy is the pillar of this society. On Arano, they only want to draw in that positive energy and not the negative energy. And like, in fact, they despise like those that draw on that negative energy. Um, they are against the negative necromancy so much that they have the Undying Court, which basically they seek out to destroy like the liches and the vampires and like other like evil undead. So with all that positive energy, you will see like a lot of undead walking among the living. And I think this is really like very cool. Um, they're very highly suspected. They're like heroes who have died in battle and have like returned. And there's also like very wise ancestors. I believe in the book, I read a sentence that you could walk past an elf who's like 20,000 years old. And that's kind of like amazing to me. Um, so it's like yeah. a lot a lot you can play with as a DM here. So basically the elven civilization that lives on Arendelle, they basically sustain the life of the undead and humanity can't match like this power at all. They're very, very powerful. Um, some notable locations. We have the... Pylas Taller, which is the port city. It's the point of contact between Arundel and the uh, outside world. We have the Shaykaradal kingdoms. This is the kingdom's like capital city, a place where a lot of, you know, um, diplomatic things happen and commerce between like um, the elven families. We have the Shaymordai. This is the ancient citadel. Uh, it sits upon a rift that feeds off of that positive energy. And this is where you can find the um, Undying Court, which I'm going to get into in just a second. And then we have the North. This is where you'll find the Ternadel warrior elves. And so now I'm going to get into the Undying Court. So these are like the most wisest, wisest and most accomplished elves that like ever lived in Arendelle. Um, because of this, uh, they're undead, and so they're like very preserved, and they are a part of the um, undying court. So the court, again, they despise anything, any necromancy that preys on the living. So yeah, peps, they hate Strahd. <laughs> they would seek out to destroy. <laughs> they, would seek, they would seek out to destroy. Not my husband. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> so again, the undying court is just an assembly of like the civilization's greatest thinkers and leaders of all time. Um, if you are a cleric or paladin, um, you could like aspire to be a part of the court. I know Eberron in the book, it says cleric or paladin, but I'm wondering maybe even warlocks or, you know, other spellcasters too. When you are a cleric or paladin of the court, um, you're working towards becoming a member one day alongside your undead ancestors. Um, which I think is pretty cool. And so there's like tons of missions that you can go on and like a lot of like adventures. And a little tidbit here of information, the symbol of the Undying Court is like a golden mask with luminous eyes. And if you are a devotee to the court, so again, if like a cleric or paladin that's trying to like become a part of the court, you can wear like a brooch with that's like the same 
um, with luminous eyes, but you just like wear it on your garment. And yeah, that is. I love a thing that gives you a nice piece of jewelry with it. You know, yeah. like, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm all in if you give me something shiny to wear. <laughs> like, yeah, here's this. <laughs> and that's why I need the warlock of it and not yeah. <laughs> a cleric or paladin. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. And it, it really is the the good guys make it into this like crew. <laughs> so yeah, not your murder hobos. Um, and I agree, I think any any class or potential race could end up there as long as you have proven yourself in life and done good. You yeah. know? Oh yeah. All right. So moving into um the actual members of the Undying Court is the Undying Counselor to kick it off. So we're sticking in the Eberron book. And these are the most powerful members of the Undying Court who still maintain their physical forms. The Undying Counselors guide and protect the people of Arenal. As any council or council member, the Undying Counselors advise the living and some project their consciousness into the astral plane to seek new knowledge to share. However, there are times where this could maybe go awry and the undying can go mad from trying to remain immortal for too long. And I can kind of understand this, like if you are a 20,000 year old elf, you may have maxed out on how much information you can retain and retain accurately. So that's where I think the madness goes. If you project yourself and try and consume too much over too many thousands of years, it's going to have an effect. You're going to get a little quirky. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So let's dive into the stat block for the Undying Counselor. She is hefty, hefty, hefty. So bear with me. Starting off, these are medium undead, and as expected based on the lore Mieka shared, they are neutral good. How nice. (laughs) They have an AC of 17, which is natural armor, a hit point average of 104, and a speed of 30 feet. They are a CR of 10. So this is quite high, um, and we'll get into why it's a CR of 10. They have well above average stat abilities, except for decks at plus zero, but wisdom is the highest at plus five, and then strength, intelligence, and charisma at plus three, and con at plus two. For saving throws, they have a con save mod of plus six, intelligence of plus seven, and wisdom of plus nine. They know their shit. It's going to be really hard to outthink them and outlore them, essentially. They are skilled in arcana, history, insight, perception, and religion, with a plus 11 to history, and then everything else is plus 7. And they have damage vulnerabilities to necrotic, which also tracks with the adverse, severe averseness to necromancy and negative energy. Uh, They have damage immunities to poison and radiant, condition immunities to charmed, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, and poisoned. They have dark vision of 120 feet and a passive perception of 19. You also probably won't be able to sneak up on these guys. Um, 
and languages are simple, common, and elvish. They have many abilities. Firstly is Aura of Radiance. This sheds bright light in a 15-foot radius and dim light for an additional 15 feet. It can dispel darkness created by a third level or lower spell and can turn and they can turn the bright light on or off with a bonus action. So they are basically they can just make themselves into a ball of sunlight and, you know, walk around like that if they really want to. I feel like there is potentially a level to play this as extremely arrogant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which could be really hilarious. We'll get more into that when we talk about it together, but also could be really annoying. (laughs) Next, they have magic resistance, which is advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. The Undying Counselor is a 13th level spellcaster. It has plus nine to hit and uses wisdom as its casting ability. So the spell save DC it has is 17. Now remember, it is a neutral good creature, so the spell options are also suitable to that, um, which we'll get into a little bit. There is a lot, but I'll cover some of the, the interesting highlights. It has five cantrips to cast, and it can cast them at will, including Guidance, Mending, Sacred Flame, Spare the Dying, and Thaumaturgy. And then it has a total of 17 spell slots ranging from level one through level seven. Obviously the highest at level one, only one at level seven, but it's a long list of spells it has at its, at, at its um, in its list. <laughs> um, some of them include banishment, spirit guardians, hold person, daylight, dispel magic, plane shift and divination. So we're talking lots of like the the bolstering ones, protective ones, um, like debuffing the the monster style ones. So if you get into actions they have, they have what's called radiant touch. It is essentially the touch of the sun. It's a melee attack where they physically touch a creature with a plus nine attack bonus to hit. And there's a five foot reach in one target. It, it on a hit, it deals 3d6 plus 5 radiant damage. It has multi-attacks, so it can actually do that attack twice. So if you are within melee with it, it is absolutely going to hit this on you twice and do a decent amount of damage in one turn. It also has healing touch, which it can do three times per day where it can touch another creature and magically heal them for 3d8 plus 5 hit points and remove a curse afflicting them. I would really love to have one of these just like <laughs> on call. Yeah, just hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This would is be really the nice. NPC we need to pick up. Yeah. The not, one we not need that goblin that we, that we kidnapped and made come right? with us. <laughs> right? <laughs> So it has one more notable spell called Flame Strike, and this is a fifth level spell, and it will take a spell slot to cast, but the Undying Counselor can choose a spot it can see within 60 feet, and each creature within 
10 foot radius and 40 foot high cylinder of that spot must make a DC 17 deck save or take 46 fire damage and 46 radiant damage. Half as much on a success and it can bump that up in spell slot levels, um, adding 1d6 damage for each in increase up to level 7. So it's kind of a heavy hitter. I would say it can also hit flying creatures because of the design of it, um, which is kind of in its back pocket. In addition to that, this thing has legendary actions. It can select from two options. It can only use one at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn. However, it can do radiant touch as a attack at the end of one of the other creature's turns, and it can do that twice using both legendary actions. It can also do shimmering aura, which does cost both legendary actions at once. But in this instance, the counselor channels positive energy in into its aura of radiance to extend the bright light to 30 feet and the dim light to an additional 30 feet. And this time, it really, really is the sun because if you start your turn in the bright light, which is a 30-foot radius around it, you must succeed on a DC 17 con save or be blinded until the end of the counselor's next turn. <laughs> so if shit is going down, it just bursts itself into the sun. And like there's, it's a very low percentage now that it can be hit. And I want to say that it can also probably warn or give a heads up to its like comrades to, you know, move away or like, it's like find shelter from my light or some shit before yeah. it casts it off. Yeah. But it's basically going to turn the entire area into like you're standing on the sun. Ooh. yeah so that was a lot that's it <laughs> but yes it has abilities actions legendary actions and it is all just glorious good which is really entertaining mm -hmm. <clears throat> i like that it just like soaks up positive vibes and then bursts them out at you <laughs> yeah <laughs> just all the good vibes <laughs> Yeah. And I want to believe these two have that, like, they can use the light on demand, but I feel like just walking around generally, they still just have this, like, glow around them. And so it's not really hard to tell who is one of one of the undying counselors just out in the world like you can just pick them out in the crowd all right next we have the undying soldier and this is significantly more um straightforward than the undying counselor nonetheless plays a pretty important part um the undying soldiers make up the army of Arenal's city of the dead they are guards for temples of the Undying Court and for mansions, and they are bodyguards for the Arenal Ambassadors. They wear heirloom armor and have ornate weaponry. So think of these in full gold armor, like really ornate. And they have in the book, the image is a glowing red eyes under a glorious golden helm. So again, impossible to miss if you are familiar with this 
region and this lore at all, I think you would be able to pick out exactly what this is right away. Yeah, I'm looking at the artwork. They're pretty flashy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially for the undead that we normally get. Right. <laughs> and just yeah. like rags and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like the budget has gone up. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so getting into some of their stats, they are also medium undead neutral good. They have also an AC of 17, but this is due to breastplate and shield that they carry. Their hit point average is significantly lower at 26 um, and speed is 30 feet. This is a CR of two. So you are likely going to see these in combat more than the Undying Counselor and probably in groups, like they are an army. And I imagine they would be probably, there would be two bodyguards per ambassador and there would be maybe two or even more guards lining like the outside of a mansion or a court. Their ability stats are still all above average across the board, except for intelligence this time, um, but are lower than the Undying Counselor. The highest being plus three for strength, and then con and charisma at plus two, and dex and wisdom at plus one. It is skilled in athletics, plus five, history, plus four, perception, plus three, and religion, plus four. So still very knowledgeable, still knows its shit, and is just a bit more athletic and beefy for strength as the as its primary ability. Damage vulnerability is still there for necrotic, damage resistance to radiance, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks not made with silver weapons, damage immunities to poison, condition immunities to exhaustion and poisoned. It has dark vision of 60 feet and passive perception of 13, and it also has languages of elvish and common. Moving on to abilities, this one has illumination, where it sheds 10-foot radius bright light and dim light for another 10 feet. So it's like a mini version of the Undying Counselor, and it can also turn it on and off with a bonus action. It doesn't mention it having any additional ability of uh, dispelling dark um, darkness or anything like that. I think this is just... Um, probably for intimidation, for enhancing the area, improving that. It also has turn resistance, which is, is advantage on saving throws against any effect that turns undead. It has one main action because it carries a spear. So it has a melee or ranged attack with plus five to hit one target. On a hit, it will do 1d6 plus 3 piercing damage or 1d8 plus 3 piercing damage if it's used two-handed. And it will add on 2d8 radiant damage if the target is a fiend or undead. And that is all for the undying soldier. So pretty helpful. Maybe a little bit easier to... Well, we'll get into the conversation here. <laughs> I have lots of <laughs> thoughts on this. <laughs> so let's roll for it. All right. Mieka, you got a two. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 16. <laughs> I got 12. So we're in the same order. <laughs> so Peps. Yeah. Um, what do we think about storyline 
or like the quest one shots ideas for using these two um I think there's two ways you could really go with it. There's the, you know, getting them to help you if you're a good party. But I would like to see these used in a evil party campaign because everybody eventually wants to play evil characters. And <laughs> I think these would be a lot of fun to introduce as like your party has started to do a lot of shit and get noticed. And um, these guys take notice and and start to come after them. Ooh, like a like a it follows scenario where they're uh-huh. coming after you slowly but surely. They'll yeah, you. like ah! you know, you start off slow with your thing, but like eventually your party's gonna ramp it up by the time they get to a CR ten. And yeah, I think the counselors will definitely be sending soldiers to come and collect you. <laughs> cool, love it. Um, in the current campaign that we're playing in, that Adam's running. Um, we are actually hunting uh, our evil characters from a previous campaign, which are, yeah, undead, vampires, lich. Like, we're talking this group's forte on what they despise and want to destroy. So I feel like this would be the perfect group to consult and get help from. I don't think we can do that, (laughs) but but holy shit, like this would give me hope that we might make it. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Yeah. And so if you want your party to like either travel or explore um, an area of Eberron and seek extra help, if that's a possibility, I think this would be a really fun place to play around with that. And maybe you have to do certain things to prove yourself worthy of getting their support in your ventures, um, which could turn into, you know, six months worth of campaign just to do that. So <laughs> I'll stick with the classic story on these ones. <laughs> um, for me, I'm, I've, I've been thinking a lot about one shots with these guys like um a one shot where your players have no clue that they that one of the npcs is an undying counselor or an undying soldier it's like you just think they're this elf that looks a little bit weird but you know whatever and then out of nowhere during combat they just burst into like (laughs) this big old like ball of light (laughs) what is that like i would see maybe a one shot with like a group of people who um, have never played D and D before, you know. Um, yeah, I think that would be. Uh, it's a very fun character ju- to just throw in with like new players. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just like know everything, and yeah. for some reason, never take off their armor. It's like, why don't you take it off? It's like I don't know. I don't take it off. I just don't take it off. It's fun. <laughs> They're just Mandalorians. <laughs> yeah. right? like- this is the way. <laughs> like this elf is so weird <laughs> okay <laughs> oh love it all right what about um the role-playing aspect for these ones um yeah like you sort of mentioned I think like there is gonna be a level of arrogance to them like there always is right with the like most righteous of of the like <laughs> I know the best um you need to listen to me sort of thing so yeah I would lean into a bit of that arrogance yeah and they have like they have 
really high stats in intelligence and wisdom because I immediately thought of the paladin in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, I was going to say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because like, you're just like mildly annoyed, but also like, oh, you are so awesome. <laughs> But his stats were a bit min-maxed. You could tell by the how he played that. This is not min-maxed at all. This is highly intelligent, highly wise. Like, they're going to, they're probably going to be like, don't bother trying to fight me. Like, it's like, oh, no, we are not going that way. Have you ever studied blah, 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 and just bring up like this, you know, thousand or 10,000 year old lore that no one knows, and they'll just, you know, be obnoxious that way. (laughs) So you could really play it that way, I think, which would be really entertaining to do as a DM. And then you would see your players pick out the like, like, (laughs) I also imagine Charlie, where Charlie gets a kind of severe reaction to NPCs sometimes and he'd be like fuck I hate that guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah no (laughs) um I was gonna say the same exact thing the paladin from the D&D movie (laughs) but like times like a (laughs) hundred it's like no things they know well they know like everything basically but like are so surprised that you're not keeping up with them (laughs) Yeah, that's where I would go with it, 100%. Yeah. And what if you, uh, hmm, like I'm imagining if you were, if you ended up being someone, someone of importance and were just told you must have these undying soldiers guarding you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that whole dynamic of having no insight on what the hell these, these creatures are. But it's like something's going on with them. And then you're having to just navigate figuring that out and playing just that arrogant soldier that knows everything. They're not just like a dumb lumbering soldier that's there as a meat shield. They know a lot. Yeah, (laughs) that would be so funny. (laughs) All right. So if we're going into the next piece. The impact on environment, so where you might come across these naturally or put place them in, and strategies for um, using them in your campaign for either combat or interactions, encounters. Um, as far as like impact for the environment, I would definitely play off the light and like the them being able to harness the power of the sun. Um, you're definitely, I think, going to see them coming like they're going you're going to be walking through the woods and there's just going to be this blinding light all of a sudden and like as they come closer you'll be able to see their form um I don't they're not hiding Mm -hmm. you know these are not the ones that you're gonna have to really search for clues to find them they're gonna like they're so like high and mighty and you know proud of themselves I think that they they're not hiding from like if they want you to know that they're there they're just gonna be there um I would all like for strategies definitely the power of the sun like the blinding the going or the taking being able to take away the darkness like that does not get to happen very often so definitely playing on that because we all have like that warlock that loves to throw darkness Mm -hmm. (laughs) at things (laughs) (laughs) um I really liked that that tactic and their their abilities 
Yeah, that definitely elevates it. Yeah, I kept thinking too of like an elven army, you know, like if you think back to Lord of the Rings and and like the the perfect alignment and the marching of an elven armor and they would all be in that like perfect gold armor. Um, it would be one of those scenarios where you may even hear the rumble of their steps before you see them. Uh, it could be one of those scenarios where you are w- all waking up in the morning and the sun is rising on the wrong horizon because it's the glow from this army or the glow from the council coming to find you. <laughs> And so that could be an interesting hint where it's like, why is there a bright light in the South today? (laughs) What is going on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And absolutely the radiant like impact for combat is phenomenal. I think the counselors, especially because they're so, so high powered, they are the ones that are going to stay back. And I don't think they would like come out blazing with their highest powered things. They would observe and gain kind of a tactic, tactical ground of what's going on. What are the most threatening creatures if there's multiple creatures that they're encountering to fight and then be very selective in their targets. So I think they would kind of observe and play the field and see what gets thrown at them before they really bring out any of their higher powered stuff. And I think the soldiers would be extremely tactical as well. They wouldn't just come barbarically flying in there. They would have a strategy, potentially work together on creating, you know, a wall or blocking a way to to try and fight or defend something behind them. Yeah. Mieka, what do you think? Um, I'm looking at this and I'm trying to like put it together. I'm thinking as far as impact um to the environment, I guess I'm kind of still reaching into role playing a bit. Like I feel like they draw a crowd whether they want to or not because they're seen as like very like wise beings and you know um very like um tactical at that. So I feel like they're constantly um having people around which I think would be kind of interesting for your party to have to work around that like just having people come up to you randomly um and just like stuff like that but as far as strategies is concerned um I feel like these would be the NPCs where you wouldn't expect if like if your party didn't know who they were you wouldn't expect them to go as hard as they do in battle (laughs) It's like, oh, they just, they're just like, you know, another elven soldier just doing their thing. But like out of nowhere, they just start fighting and they know the grounds better than, you know, your party does. And they know how to use specific like weapons and use the environment and that positive energy around them to like win in battle. Mm -hmm. That's where I met with that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I wonder if this is also a scenario where like extreme negative energy they're trapped like they're not attracted to but they detect and like because they want to destroy it and I wonder if it's an interesting way that you could potentially see if your players would set something up to call them 
like to get them to come to you by I don't know do I don't know what but going and fucking shit up at a really powerful lich's place or trying to call an evil god or <laughs> doing something just to really ruffle the the yeah. ruffle the energy so that they come and show up and are like what the fuck are you doing and then it's like hey we need you. <laughs> Not <too> bad, but because <laughs> players would do that, they'll be like, yeah. "Oh, well, let's just fuck some shit up so that they come help us." <laughs> uh, we're not Get that chaotic, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I really do enjoy that. It's like a bit of a twist on the undead that we normally cover. Like undead, you normally yeah. think like darkness, necrotic, like. Um, I like that these guys have the light and it's it's sort of flips what you think of undead on it. Yeah. And it brings that um like the trauma backstory a little bit flipped in that um you don't end up seeking and finding your ancestor who is suffering in, in immortality as a slave to some other evil god that you have to save in the underdark. It's oh my god here you are and they're like serving the court and like or a part of the court and they have just been like helping people and quashing evil and you know it's just like very sunshine and rainbows and lovely <laughs> <laughs> when you've hit too much trauma in the party just, just to bring it up a notch yeah. to bring them back a little bit a little palate can... cleanser <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's not all bad it's gonna be bad again but <laughs> here you go a little breath of fresh air just a little tiny tiny bit of hope all right i think we're gonna move on to another angle um Yeka, kick it off all right so we're gonna talk about karnath i guess that's how you pronounce it uh, this is also an everon and you can find this on pages 117 to 119 so this is, they have a very strong military and martial um, tradition, and they lack a bit in the magic department. Um, and again, they very heavily focus on military tradition and all aspects of that. Many are taught their training at the Reckonmark Academy. Uh, the laws here in Karnath are very strict and they push towards a little martial law vibe. <laughs> so like they get very strict and very like um, overseeing of like what's going on. The people who live here are very strict and they don't have a lot of patience for emotion. I thought that was very um, a little like a interesting tidbit. Um, because of the food shortages and sicknesses that happen here, the blood of all was used as like a national religion in Karnath. Basically, um, this religion practiced creating undead as like tools and servants, basically. And you can tell that it was an issue because they were using that negative energy and that was like heavily frowned upon. So the blood of all had stopped being practiced, but there's still like undead skeletons and like zombies that are still around. Some important parts of the community. So you have uh, a tur, which is the which was the stronghold for the blood of all. Um, this is where they produced that undead, and there were there's also 
soldiers that are there just in case they need to be risen again. Um, you have the Fort of Bones, which is like fortresses that sit um, at the top of hilltops and just like being ran by undead soldiers. And if I can remember correctly, they said that it's pitch black up at the Fort of Bones. And so all of the undead soldiers there have dark vision. So like, if you don't have dark vision, you're like, you're fucked basically, because it's just, you're going into darkness and having to deal with undead soldiers who know you're there and they're just going to do sneak attacks and stuff. It's, it's crazy. You have the Carleton, um, known as the birthplace of kings. Um, some specific kings that I found from research outside of the Eberron book were Karn the Conqueror and Galifar I. Um, you can also see the Sentinel Tower, which serves as headquarters for the Sentinel Marshals. Um, you have Korth, um, which is the capital of Karnath. Here is where they really show that military mindset by having like marches in the streets to like intimidate the foreigners and like really show off that like military mindset that they have. The walls and towers here are like equipped with that like weaponry. And then you have the Nightwood. This is a forest that is tied to um, the plane of Mabar. So that is that like where all that negative energy is. And so it's pulling in from um, pulling in that negative energy and monsters fill this forest and they're known to like, you know, leave the forest and just wreak havoc on people who live in Karnath. So yeah, a lot of like places to go here and like explore, but yeah, that's Karnath. Sounds like a cool. lovely place to visit. <laughs> like it's very very lovely it's a great vacation spot (laughs) a little like you know that mountain of bones (laughs) this is where your liches would be like oh this is like a gold mine yeah yeah. peps and you have um a soldier to discuss yes Uh, a group of soldiers. Um, so yeah, it's the Carnathy undead soldiers. Um, the picture we get in the book of the Carnathy shows a heavily armored skeleton. There appears to be no real fleshy bits or muscle left on them. Um, at least not the parts that are exposed. Head to toe, they are covered in heavy armor and are seen carrying two long swords. You can see their skeletal face and glowing white eyes behind their helm. Now, imagine that, but an entire army. Um, mm-hmm. They are described as fearless and tireless and can be a true nightmare to come across in battle. And this is why they are the core of the Karnath army. With the end of the last war, the Carnathy undead can be found in three different areas. While the majority of them have been sealed in the vaults under the city of Atur, the army of Carnathy still keeps a good amount in service in their army, and others have been taken by the Order of the Emerald Claw. Now, that's what the Carnathy have become, but let's talk about how we got here. The nation of Carnath was known for its soldiers being unmatched in battle. However, that did not make them immune to plague and famine. In the early days of the last war, a very desperate King Chaos definitely said that wrong. <laughs> um, a very desperate king sought out the priest of the blood of Val. The priest turned the fallen soldiers into an undead army. 
Now, originally, these undead soldiers needed constant commands and were basically just cannon fodder in the war. But after decades of work, a high priest named Malevanar, Malevanor, um, along with some powerful necromancers of the Blood of Val, created what is known as the Odakur Rites. This gave the Carnathi undead the ability to think and act for themselves, thus being able to make tactical decisions during battle. Now, unlike the original soldiers who were dying from plague and famine, the new Carnathi undead can only be created from those slain on the battlefield and only in specific zones tied to the plain of Mabar. The two main zones are the city of Atur and Odakur. Malevnar says the Carnathi undead are granted their undeath and intelligence due to the patriotic ways of the Carnathi soldier. Many of the living Carns fear them, though, and worry they will be used by some powerful beings like Lady Elmaro and turn on those they currently fight for. Though the Carnathi undead were once living, they do not really show any signs of who they once were. They have no emotion, mercy, or compassion and are perfectly content to stand completely still and silent for days. They do not care about the difference between soldiers and civilians on the imposing side unless they are specifically instructed otherwise. There are just a few that remember they who they once were, um, and usually these are considered champions of the Blood of Val or become agents of the Order of the Emerald Claw. So getting into their stats, they are medium undead and lawful evil. They are a CR of 3 and have an AC of 17 and an average hit point of about 52. All of their stats are above average except for Charisma, which has a negative 3 modifier, so it's way down there. <laughs> um, from there, we get Intelligence and Wisdom have a plus 1, Dex a plus 2, Constitution and Strength at a plus 3. Athletics gets a plus five and perception a plus three. They are resistant to cold and poison damage and immune to the conditions of charmed, frightened, and poison. They do get dark vision of 60 feet and can only speak common. They have undead nature, so they don't need air, food, drink, or sleep. And they have pack tactics, giving them advantage on attack rolls if an ally is within five feet. And honestly, I would say never use them alone. Um... They are an army, so lean into that. You should always have pack tactics. They also get undead fortitude, allowing them to make a con save with a DC of 5 plus the damage taken to avoid being reduced to 0 hit points. This only works if it's not radiant or critical damage, and on a success, they drop to 1 hit point instead. For actions, they have a multi-attack, allowing three attacks with one weapon. So this would either be using their longsword, which has a plus five to hit, and a 1d8 plus slashing, or a 1d10 plus three if they use it with two hands. Or they have a longbow, which is a plus four to hit, and a 1d8 plus two piercing. As a reaction, they can parry, allowing them to add three to their AC against one melee attack that would hit, but they must see the attacker and be wielding a melee weapon. So they can't use that if they are currently using their longbow. And that's what I've got for uh, the, these Ooh, undead soldier boys. The ultimate soldier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they really are. Cool. Okay, well, let's roll some dice. All right, Mika, that time you got a 10. <laughs> Okay. And oh, I got I a five. five. <laughs> All right, we got to roll, roll off for you and Mika. 
Yeah. <laughs> the suspense, Vika doesn't even know what she's getting. <laughs> you got an 18. <laughs> oh, I oh, got 20. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought I did so good for you. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Thanks, pups. I love oh, it. <laughs> I try. All right. Okay, I guess I got to kick things off with um, some storylines. Oh, man. Okay, there's so much here. Mm-hmm. Again, I guess I'm thinking the same thing on trying to gain them as allies. So, but this time they're just maybe a, a, little, <laughs> a little bit less good, a little bit more uh, in the murky area. But um, imagine navigating to this region to request an army of Karnathi undead to come fight for you in some epic battle. I feel like a quest to seek out additional help and go use your convincing, like your your bards need to like convince them that you have a worthy cause for them to send out a army of these soldiers something like that could be really interesting um, to try and build in. And then your party's just observing the, you know, perfect, I feel like, again, they would be perfectly in unison when they're marching. They're, like, really terrifying and intimidating to look at, but they have no charisma, which is really the interesting part. They just don't rely on that. It's like, yeah. If you see the sea of them or the group of them, that is enough. Like they don't need to do any more themselves. I sort of picture that as like the army from Game of Thrones was the unsullied, like very, yes, very trained and just like, but undead. <laughs> yeah, that absolutely came to mind for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. All right, Mika, you were next then. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. No, I got a five. <laughs> All right, my turn with the storyline. I think kind of keeping with my one shot idea, it's like your first one shot was introducing them to um, Arendelle where, you know, it's like, oh, we're learning. We're so wise. Like we're like positive, like all the time. And then your next one shot is now you're going to Karnath. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like so strict and just like so military driven. And it's like, whoa <laughs> like this place has a history <laughs> so like playing definitely with the community and um like what's you know going on there yeah I think would be like a lot of fun and like introducing those undead soldiers as well um to the party and working with them and like having to deal with like the <laughs> negative charisma um like could you imagine like dance character <laughs> like interacting with like, <laughs> soldiers and he's trying so hard but they just like yeah care. yeah he'd so, yeah. uh, be like okay good chat awesome and then he would try again 10 minutes later yeah. and the same thing would happen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's where i'm with on that i like the idea of um there being so many of them in the tombs under the city like they said and you're part already like going there to get them to recruit them sort of like what Casey said about trying to get them um to fight for you but I I like the idea of like sneaking into those tombs and seeing what's under there and trying to get them out of there versus just going and like asking to borrow their army 
(laughs) Yeah. Like one of your party just sneaks in and takes some. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yep. And if it's martial law style, I mean, if you get away with it, Mm -hmm. just get out. (laughs) I mean, because some of them do defect to the Emerald Claw. Was it the Emerald Claw? Um, Yeah. I think that was the name of them. Yeah. So like they can be convinced to fight for somebody else. Yeah. and go somewhere else so i think that would be interesting is to try and just sneak in and like steal an army that's just standing there <laughs> dormant like they're just that's you know where we go from the the beginning question of just standing guarding forever like that's what they're doing down there is nothing mm-hmm. yeah they're just waiting for instruction mm-hmm. or direction yeah cool all right thinking about the role playing and social aspect of these. Yeah, you will play them basically the opposite of the other ones we discussed earlier in the episode. They <laughs> they will not really try to engage in conversation. They will not boast about their knowledge. They have one purpose. And perhaps you could get a little bit out of some of them like um, you mentioned peps that some of them do have a bit of knowledge of like their past so you might be able to like pick your way through and find some that will like engage and give you maybe a little bit more insight in where they came from or the the rules and laws of of the region that they are staying in of Karnath but I think you you can't do much more than that with these they're just that cold of like simple affront and they're just there to do the the fighting and that's it yeah yeah what do you think Mika? um no like I agree with you it's gonna be kind of hard to like have some type of (laughs) relationship with these guys like I know they can be convinced to like fight for you and like do what they need to do but I feel like outside of getting the job done they're just gonna be (laughs) so annoying (laughs) (laughs) but like Like traveling with them anywhere is gonna be horrible (laughs) (laughs) it's like you guys are doing your job but like do you do anything else and they're like no why would we (laughs) (laughs) and so um, as a dm that would be like i feel like a lot of fun just being deadpan (laughs) and not really having to give that much Mm -hmm. thought to personality with these guys (laughs) yeah um i would say if i used some that did have memories still of who they were i would maybe up the charisma a little bit on them um so it's not quite as low because they do still have a little piece of who they were as living Mm -hmm. though as the living they were still soldiers so um and like highly trained and combative so they don't have like like happy fun memories still (laughs) even even if they do remember it's still all war and and fighting Um, but yeah, it would be like your typical, stereotypical, um, barbarian who is super low charisma and just, I hit now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, point me in the direction. I will hit it. And yeah. that's, that's all you're, that's all you're getting from them is tell me what to hit. Um, yeah. you're, you're like, not who having, is the enemy? <laughs> yeah. You're not having long conversations with these trying to fig- get information or anything. It's just 
Mm-hmm. Show me, show me what to hit. Yep. Which is extremely helpful when you're at war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I feel like when we move on to the exploration and environment and clues, like there is, I think you could use the eeriness and the darkness and the bones that and the piles of bones when you're navigating to this city is there yeah it's it is a city <laughs> is that what you would call yeah. it or of Karnath yeah um and I think that's where the DM could use a lot of descriptors for just how the feeling and senses are in this area and you know your your players who don't have dark vision will be at a severe disadvantage and I also think you could play it as navigating for quite some time just through kind of area that just looks abandoned or looks like a graveyard and you don't even really know what you're in for a long time and you're being observed by undead but you don't necessarily see them and it takes quite some time to actually um, in- have an encounter. Like you're thinking maybe you're in the wrong spot. Like you're searching and searching, but nothing's coming out. You're making noise, but nothing's responding. And then suddenly like there's like a big reveal of you reach like that top area and suddenly you realize you're surrounded by undead or you realize you've found a way down into the tombs and you go down there and then still there's silence, but then you see a sea of soldiers just standing there, not moving and they won't engage with you. So you can really do a lot of creepy kind of non-responsive, no charisma, like negative charisma style interaction through it, which would be probably frustrating for the party but then also very like eerie and unsettling for them too which would be interesting yeah that's where I went with that (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to impact to the environment I feel like on a very evil party these guys would be like a struggle um I really I was really interested by the fort of bones place here I just think it's so funny how like you have some up there that are like lying in wait to like attack basically and so Mm -hmm. your party would have to understand how to move through the darkness and have and I guess this can kind of go into strategy as well um you have to have a plan to fight these guys and so you just can't just I mean you could just go in guns blazing and just you know go all crazy but I feel like you have to be very smart in how you fight these guys in this place because they are highly trained so yeah like they will am you yeah um I think if you're gonna encounter them outside of Karnath it would be like your party sent to a town for something and that town is for whatever reason um seen as enemies to these to the Carnathy army and you just come up on the town and have like witness them sort of finishing a battle and like it said it doesn't they don't care if you're a soldier or a civilian so it would just be witnessing a brutal takedown of the whole city and like your party mm. would have to decide like am I going after them <laughs> or are we gonna just leave <laughs> But it would, like, coming up on that, like, I imagine 
them burning down buildings and just the sounds of battle and just this eerie feeling coming like you you think you're going to this happy village and you just feel this eeriness as you get closer to it because of all of the death and destruction that that awaits there um sort of thing yeah absolutely and the like imagery of them is Mm -hmm. very scary Mm -hmm. yeah well I think we covered a few different points on combat tactics like the pack tactics you're going to find them in like at least in um, a mass (laughs) if you're going to encounter the soldiers Mm -hmm. Um, any other comments around combat from either of you no just like be ready to fight I hope y'all are rolling high yeah (laughs) like I hope you have a plan because they definitely have a plan yeah and I mean even (laughs) if they see you coming up they all have longbows too so oh yeah like if you yeah if they even like get a hint that your party is coming they and they get three shots per round with that longbow so all of them and there's an army of them so That is a lot of arrows flying at you before you even get close enough to get to them. And they have pack tactics on top of that. Yeah, that would might be your first indication you're in their territory is a a volley of arrows that land on your party. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Amazing. Again, would want these on my side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Switch inside. Yes, don't. I don't recommend fighting this army. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Moving on to some more lore for Mieka. All right. I really like this one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're headed to Ravnica to discuss the Orzov Syndicate. And you can find information about this on pages 71 through 76 in Ravnica. All right. So here, wealth is power. And we have a group of people here who are using religion and the banking as a facade to basically serve us mafia vibes. (laughs) That's what I was getting from it. Um, They they preach this belief that um, it's a sin to be in debt. And if you want to be forgiven for that sin, uh, we'll need to make, you'll have to like make a donation. And so they're very like money focused and, um, power hungry here (laughs) Um, so So it's a sin to be in debt but in order to gain favor you need to pay yeah (laughs) figure out how to make that donation because then you know you won't be sinful anymore oh but i'm poor it's like you gotta figure it out it's like (laughs) i hate it (laughs) be better i don't know what to tell you figure out your shit (laughs) all right so while many in Ravnica can see this group for like who they are you still have people who fall for it hoping for a chance to just not be burdened but they're still like in the middle of that whole like mind game of you know trying not to be sinful but it's like you can't afford to be sinful. it's just a lot so um so that we have the ghost council here also known as the ob obsidat yeah obsidat yeah i don't know i'm gonna say it five different ways as i talk about it later <laughs> so. i'm gonna say i'm just gonna say the ghost council um, <laughs> Uh, so they like lead the syndicate and um, they're considered very powerful undead oligarchs 
Um, it must be understood that this is a very corrupted group and even characters you come into contact with who don't seem that powerful are still pushing towards like a hidden agenda. So even if they are like, you meet someone here who's like helpful and they're like, yeah, we're going to help the party. You have to assume that there's something else going on that you're not going to be prepared for <laughs> later on down the line. Their goal is to have an organized community, even if they have to have some sort of corruption at every level to see it go their way. Some NPCs that are very notable, you can find this on page 245. Um, you can incorporate these types of NPCs. So you have the advocates, which are like lawyers. They represent clients. Um, they're um, pros prosecuting those who failed to pay their debts and they use their magic to like draw out the truth. You have enforcers who are like the fighters, like think of them as like the bouncers, <laughs> like at clubs and like they're the muscle and they're gonna make sure that the money is getting paid. Um, they're gonna make sure that you're going to pay your debt and you know, they're like, again, the muscle for this group. And then you have the priests, which I found very interesting. They play a hand in this religious aspect um, of the syndicate and they're either you're either going to meet a priest who's hoarding the money for themselves or they're kind of giving it back to the poor in some way so they're not like good good guys but you may find a few of them who are you know i'm stealing from like this group of wealthy people i'm like playing games with them i'm manipul i'm manipulating them but I'm also kind of funneling that into the poor people and I'm trying to help them like survive in this crazy manipulative society <laughs> of wealth and power. And so, yeah, that's all I have on the um, uh, Orzhov Syndicate. Huh. I would not want to be represented by those. <laughs> I'd be like, uh -uh. no. <laughs> it's like anything goes here and it's like, I'm terrified, but I also love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I hate it, but I love it so much. I would have so much fun here, but I would also be so upset. <laughs> Every single day I have to deal with these people. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. And there is a council as well? Yes, there is the Obzadet, the Ghost Council. Obzadet, Obzadet, something like that. <laughs> However <laughs> council. you feel. <laughs> so the patriarch, bleh, patriarchs, the patriarchs, <laughs> though they can be male or female, make up this council of ghosts. Spoiler alert, there are no actual females on it, though the book says that there can be. So if you want to homebrew that, uh, you can. So, um, And yes, you will. <laughs> we will. We will. It's going to be all females. Thank you. Um, to be a patriarch, you have to be one of the oldest, wealthiest, and most influential oligarchs in the Orzhov syndicate. Yeah. <laughs> um, even after death, they are obsessed with power and wealth, so they spend the afterlife trying to gain even more of it. While decisions are generally made by the entire council, there is sometimes the need for a tiebreaker. In this case, the oldest of the council makes the final decision. This member is Karlov, known as the grandfather. When Karlov was living, he was the greediest of all of the Orzhov oligarchs. Though he has been dead for centuries, his thirst for wealth has not dwindled. 
The ghost council is given specific traits that include an idea, a bond, and a flaw. So their idea is uh, influence is measured in power, status, and money, but mostly money. Their bond is gather as much as you can while you can for when you die, you will take it with you. And their flaw is everyone has a price. Now, in this section, we get a little sidebar of um, a woman named Tessa Karloff, um, which she's pretty cute, I'm going to say. Oh, <laughs> it was uh, a nice change of pace in these undead episodes to get. <laughs> Yeah, a, a cute girl to talk about. Um, We're just hitting all the good feels. All the this good episode. feels. <laughs> the the ghost council themselves, like there's five of them, so they all look very different, but they look like <laughs> dead patriarchs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, they just do. So, um, Tessa was given authority from the Obsidian Council to act as the Grand Envoy to represent the Orzhov when interacting with other guilds. For decades, there was great tension between Tessa and the Council as she argued for the living and the Obsidian were uncompromising in their decisions and only cared if things brought them power and wealth. Uh, Tessa eventually turned to Tajik, um, the blade of the Boros Legion, to seize power from the council. She failed and was imprisoned, and the role of Grand Envoy was no more. Tessa is still imprisoned as the council extorts officials to make sure she never gets released. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so, looking at their stats, this stat block takes up an entire page in the book, so... It's going to be, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Do it. Um, their stats, they are medium undead and lawful evil. However, they create the law. So that is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> They're as lawful as they want to be. Um, they are a CR of eight. They have an AC of 14. However, they get plus one for each obsidian ghost within 30 feet. So if there's just one, there's 14, but there are five of them on the council. So that can go up to uh, 18, 19 if you have all of them together. They have 110 hit points on average. Their speed is zero, but they have a flying speed of 30, which is at a hover. So they don't like fly fly, but they hover for 30 feet. Um, wisdom is their highest stat with a plus five, followed by intelligence with a plus four and charisma with a plus three. Constitution has a plus one and strength and dex are both average with a plus zero. For saving throws, they have a plus seven to intelligence and a plus eight to wisdom. Skills, they have a plus eight to insight and perception. They have damage resistances. Buckle up. There's a lot. Um, to acid, cold, fire, lightning, thunder, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. They have damage immunities to necrotic and poison, and they have condition immunities to charmed, exhaustion, grappled, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned, proned, and restrained. So the only things I can think of is um, radiant and force damage (laughs) off the top of my head that you could hit them with. Wow. Yes. (laughs) So they're going to be very hard to hit um plus they have undead nature so they don't need to eat drink breathe or sleep to survive now it says that they only speak common um but as an all-powerful centuries-old council of ghosts whose highest stat is wisdom and intelligence 
I think you can give them whatever languages you want them to have. Like, yeah, they've been around makes- for centuries and centuries. Like, um, like I've said, there are five members of the council, and each gets their own um ability that they can do. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to say these names, but <laughs> we believe in you. They're not gonna be right. So look in the book, guys. It's in Ravnica. Um, it's in page two forty five. So if you wanna if you wanna take a crack at it yourselves, internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the first one's the hardest too. And Azescu um gets the enfeebling ray with their innate spellcasting trait it includes the ray of enfeeblement which they can cast at will uh fatamni gets undead fortitude uh which is a lot of things get undead fortitude so it's your basic um if damage is reduced to zero hit points he makes a con save with a dc of five plus the damage taken unless the damage is radiant or critical on a success he drops to one instead then we have Karlov, who is our um, oldest member, the sort of the leader, um, gets unnatural vigor. When he regains hit points, he has advantage on attack rolls he makes on his next turn. Valiv uh, gets teleportation. His innate spellcasting trait includes Misty Step, which he can cast at will. Then we have Zil Zaxoff. Zaxoff? I don't, I really don't know how to say this one. We'll call him Zil. (laughs) (laughs) Which still might be wrong. I'm not sure. Um, Gets Lingering Spite. And I think this one's my favorite. Uh, When he is reduced to zero hit points, his incorporeal form explodes in a burst of necrotic energy. Each creature within five feet of him must make a DC 16 con save or take 4d6 necrotic damage on a fail or half on a success and i do think these ghosts are just arrogant and spiteful enough to take out whatever they can with them if they are being taken out um so that's what each of the members gets but they do also have abilities that they all get um first up is ethereal sight the ghost can see 60 feet into the ethereal plane when it is on the material plane and vice versa so if you have any um pcs that cast blink or that can go to the ethereal plane i know some rangers can do that they are not safe over there um they can be seen and i would say if they can be seen they can be attacked next we have incorporeal movement the ghost can move through other creatures and objects as if they are difficult terrain it takes 1d10 force damage which is one of the few things they are not resistant to if it ends the turn inside of that object. Um, as mentioned in some of the ghost's features, they have innate spell casting. They use wisdom for this and can cast the following spells. At will, they can use chill touch at fifth level. And once a day, they can use sanctuary and spirit guardians at fourth level. And to top all of that off, they also get legendary resistances and once per day can choose to succeed a failed save. And now onto their actions, because <laughs> that was just <laughs> abilities. <laughs> um, they get Life Drain, which is a melee weapon attack with a plus eight to hit and does 4d8 necrotic damage. And the ghost regains half of the amount of damage that the target takes in hit points. The target must succeed on a constitution save or its HP maximum is reduced by the amount equal to the damage taken 
The target dies if their maximum maximum hit points goes to zero, and they can't regain the strain until they finish a long rest. Now, if we remember Karlov's ability, he gets advantage after regaining hit points. So that would be any time he uses this action and hits. He then gets advantage on his next turn. Um, so why would you do anything else? Why would you do anything else? <laughs> so Karlov is going to be especially hard to take down or get away from. Um, they also can use Convene the Ghost Council, which summons the other four members of the council who roll initiative when they appear. If all five of the council members are within 30 feet of each other, they can collectively take three legendary actions. Only one legendary action can be used at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn. You, they regain the use of the legendary actions at the start of the turn of the ghost with the highest initiative. They can either use forced obedience, a target that all the ghosts can see must succeed on a wisdom save or bow until the end of its next turn. Until the bow ends, the target can't take actions or reactions and its speed is zero and can't be increased. Or they can spend all three actions and use indentured spirits where they can conjure a 1d6 um, amount of indentured spirits within 30 feet of one of them. And that's Ooh. it. <laughs> that's it. I don't like, I feel like one of them might be a CR8, but if you get all of them together, like that's that's beefy. Like their yeah. their power increases a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if you okay, let's roll dice. Yeah. <laughs> so, much. so many thoughts. <laughs> All right. Mika, you got a three. <laughs> and I got a nine. <laughs> I rolled a one. <laughs> oh, so low. Single digits today. <laughs> All right, so Peps, you're going first with a yes. nine. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, storyline, quests, one shots, ideas. Um, I would make something where you have to free Tessa. Tessa, Tessa, Tessa. I don't. <laughs> it's one of those, maybe. Um, but I would go after like there's this lore of this person that came up against them and came close you know and she's imprisoned and maybe if you can get her out maybe she can help you because she's the only one who knows any of their weaknesses yeah prison big for the win <laughs> <laughs> um i have so many ideas for this <laughs> amazing I'm like, because I hate it and I love it. <laughs> I've all the same way. <laughs> um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Apparently, my uh theme for this episode is my one shot that I'm running. So I'm trying to think of what can happen with the group that comes up against uh, members of this place. Stepping away from the ghost council, but but like pulling in those NPCs. Like you meet someone, <laughs> you meet like an advocate or something like that, that like needs the party's help to do this thing or to help in court in some way. And then it all just like basically slaps the party in the face of like who this guy or girl, like who they really are. And 
like like what they've been helping out all along especially if you have like a good party who are like they're not evil at all and then come to find out they've been helping this evil guy get away with this specific um case or something like that kind of like have the party play this game of like power and manipulation and they're the ones being manipulated it's it's a lot you can do uh, with this group yeah that just sparked more ideas for me okay so <laughs> one you could have you have been hired to be the bodyguards for a witness for something and so you have so your who you're guarding has one of these shitty shady lawyers and <laughs> you have to just keep them alive for them to go in front of the council and so then you think your job is done if you do that <laughs> you're successful because they're testifying against some other thing and it's like really bad then you go into court and witness what the hell the council is and it completely goes in the wrong favor for the person testifying but you have now found a love for that NPC that's testifying. So now it's somewhat of a prison break scenario, but uh, we need to, like, we're snatching them. We're getting the fuck out. This is, like, so fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) And so now you're trying to escape the council and whomever they were testifying against. In another scenario, same thing. You could be going just to find and figure out how to rescue someone who is in like just sticking with the the debt scenario got in way over their head owes too many bad people is now in hiding because there's like so many people out to get them but that's who you have to seek out maybe maybe somebody hired you to come find them or it's your brother (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something that's just fallen in with the wrong crowd Mm -hmm. and one way or another you end up having to try to talk to the council to make up some sort of side deal to get them out of it you talk to one of them and you end up having to talk to all of them you realize this is like far beyond what you ever imagined and you have to figure out how to get out so many ideas (laughs) i had a couple more ideas Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So when you were talking about the um your council of undying, I thought I would love to see these two together. <laughs> like oh my god. Because they I are thought... the opposites. So I would yes. love to see some sort of interaction between the two of those. Um also because I'm me, I had the thought they're wanting wealth and who has more wealth than dragons. So what if they hire you to go take care of a dragon that they have heard has the most amount of wealth and bring it back to them? And, you know, I had to throw a dragon in there somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Because I'm wearing a Tiamat shirt right now. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amazing. And you know that when you're successful, of course, at doing that, there is going to be some backstabbing manipulation when you get back, mm-hmm. where they're going to end up like or lying about what it what they were gonna the agreement and all of this stuff. And it's oh, just yeah. gonna be a whole bunch of fuckery that way. Or they send one of the council with you to watch you and make sure you're doing it. And then once you've slain the dragon, they summon all of them. 
because they can do that. They can summon the rest of them. And then you have to battle them after you just battled this dragon. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Because you did them a favor. They can't owe a debt. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they have to just take you out. Ooh. Well, I think we, <laughs> we, we already are rolling into how to like role play and style these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some further thoughts on that? Um, I think they would all have like their own personalities because they are their own people. So you as a DM would have to try and figure out how to make each of them individual, but also like together, you know, and there there is instances where they don't agree on things. It states that that Karlov is um, sometimes has to do deal breakers or tiebreakers. So there could even be some sort of infighting or bickering on what they think is the best route to go. Um, so I would I would go with that. When I was reading these, I was like, the patriarchs, and they're all about greed and wealth, and they're the oldest, richest men in the society. And I'm like, this, this feels a little too close to home. <laughs> well, I look at politics. <laughs> I would base each of them off of a different politician, I think. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be that. I was like, I hate this. But then I saw their abilities and I was like, I kind of like them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, social for me. I don't know. I'm going to, like, I think these guys are cool, but I really like the day-to-day people working in this. this Just in the environment. Yeah, the environment alone. And this might go back, might go into impacting the environment, but like one of the enforcers getting them on your side and like they're working up to like, they're like, okay, ooh, here you go. You meet an enforcer, <laughs> enforcer who's like, you know, they need your help for like a thing and they take you to the ghost council and you're thinking, okay, we're all going to work together to like beat these guys. But then it all, all comes together. Like the enforcer is actually with them and working for them. And then now you're sitting here trying to figure out how you're going to defeat like this entire council or at least try to get away or and then deal with the um, consequences of trying to go up against these guys and how that will play over into society like where you might have a priest who you really got along with when you first like you know when you first got there now they like want nothing to do with you you know what I mean it's like Mm -hmm. it's like oh it just gets so petty like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it really does but yeah that's where I'm at yeah and just hard to really trust and know whether someone's on your side or not or gonna flip on you Mm -hmm. um and I really like like you could do so much role playing with any of this and not even using the player characters like as the dm like I imagine say you are you're trying to help uh, someone has has come to a priest for help and support and then they're like oh well we let's let's bring this to the council and then I imagine you walking in and the council members are very familiar with that priest and are like oh why are you here now <laughs> like, like you just get this dynamic of like who is a pain in the ass because they're just like going against or trying to be better and they're like he just has to pay he just has to pay there's no way around it deal with it it's like oh but it's like no yeah (laughs) and then and then yeah absolute infighting in that council oh 
Like it would just be, it's just ripe yeah. with so much role playing fun. <laughs> the like passive aggressive bickering that would yeah. be because they have to respect each other because they work together. But like, I think there would be very like underhanded comments. <laughs> yeah. Because after hundreds of years of doing this, like <laughs> it's going to get old. You're going to get annoyed right? with each other. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that could even be another angle of, um, they are incredibly bored and looking for something interesting. Bring me something exciting or go, I heard about this. It's the most exciting thing I've heard in the last hundred years. Go find this or, mm -hmm. you know, like they've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Impact on the environment. Um, I think when you first walk into like the city, um, there's gonna be a sense of like fear amongst the civilians there like they're very oppressed people I believe you know with the it's a sin to be in debt and the only way out of it is to pay <laughs> like they're very they're very strict on their laws when it comes to them getting their money and power and so they're holding the people down um so you're going to come across that people are going to be very timid. They're not going to look at you. They're going to just be trying to live their life and survive and get by. So if you're interrupting them at work, if you know you stop somebody who's pushing a cart, they're going to be extremely short and like, I can't talk. I have to do this um, mm -hmm. because they're going to be afraid of like not getting paid that day and not being able to pay what they owe. So I think that would be like your first sign that there is a higher power here holding things down kind of like coming off of that it's like what if like you know you get introduced to like the way this society works and then almost immediately you get invited to like maybe a resistance that's starting like I feel like that would be um very interesting to play here like um this probably doesn't really fit with like environment but having to deal with being a part of an underground resistance group to try to go against what this entire place is all about. That would be a ton of fun. And like, mm -hmm. I think with that, you could use thieves can't if you have a rogue on your team mm. and there just be hidden messages around the city from yeah. the resistance. I think that would be a yeah. good way to pull that in. Yeah. Like cool. lots of planning as a DM, but that, that would be like fantastic. Like immediately being thrown into, okay, this is the resistance. You guys are a part of it. This is what we're dealing with. So like your players know what they're dealing with and who to trust and who not to and who to try to get on their uh, on their team. Love it. I feel like there would be a decent amount of underground and above ground gambling and like betting going on. Mm -hmm. Um because it just, it can't not be there, even though, like, because people will go into debt, and then will gamble or bet more to get out of debt. And so then there, it will just be that desperate, that desperate kind of scenario, like underlying the, the regular civilians. So I feel like there could even be scouts or some sort of kids, like the, the children of families that are in debt that watch the entrances for um new people like visitors to the city that look like hey they could maybe be wealthy and then there will be a lot of manipulation along the way a lot of hey come over here like you 
like looking to make some money and like they'll try and play it off as you can make wealth here. But in reality, they're just trying to get out of their own debt by taking your money in either a gambling or betting way or pickpocketing. Like I feel like there would just be any way you can get something to sell or to like gain money. As long as you present it as here, I'm repaying my debt. Don't ask me how I got this. The, the council and all of that is all perfectly happy because you're giving money away. Whatever you did to get it. <laughs> it's a very, very uneasy, creepy way of, of running a like, region or a city. But yeah. I feel like it relates to real life a little too much as yeah. well in that aspect yeah. yeah this council really hits a little a little too close to reality <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for my fantasy world <laughs> right exactly that's what I was thinking when I was reading it I'm like, mm-hmm. capitalism coming <laughs> <laughs> totally and I mean this council is one terrifying thing for um let's move into the final thing on strategies for combat or managing these it's probably the main ones there's so mm-hmm. much there's so <laughs> so much first of all as a dm like never plan on having them alone just like yeah. why yeah. would you why would you have just one of these um yeah having them all together gives you a plus one to each of their acs and it gives you the legendary actions plus if you think about it um there's five of them that can do all of those spells there's five of them that can pass through things that can see into the ethereal plane like it's not just one creature here so you have five of them draining your party's lives which drains their maximum hit points getting out of this battle is going to be nearly impossible plus all Mm -hmm. the things they're resistant Mm -hmm. to and immune to again and I could be wrong, uh, but off the top of my head, I can only think of force and radiant damage that is going to do a full attack on these. Plus, they're regaining their hit points every time they attack you. Yeah, it's just it's just insane. Uh, I'm trying. I I personally think a challenge of eight is too low. I think <laughs> that that needs to be adjusted depending on how many there are with with them. If there's all five, that's that's beefy agreed yeah no like i agree i think coming from like a player's standpoint i would try to avoid uh hand-to-hand combat with these guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i would lean more into talking my way out of this situation more so because they are (laughs) they're very like uh yeah they're very yeah even that's gonna be hard you're going to have to buy your way out of this situation yeah yeah like offer extreme bounty like it's mm-hmm. like if you let us go we'll do this for you yeah, <laughs> yeah. as a gm whatever. though i would be very excited if my party started like throwing hands with them like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. buckle up guys yeah. <laughs> as a party terrified don't do it but mm-hmm. as a dm you know maybe yeah, it's like, oh, yeah y'all do it <laughs> yeah and you absolutely need to even if if your party encounters like one not in a council setting somewhere else 
you better ask, they might be like, okay, let's pick this one off while we have it alone, not knowing what they can do. And that could be the, you have to run away. Cause like suddenly the other four show up and mm-hmm. you're completely fucked. Yeah. Um, these, I completely agree. The challenge rating would be so high with all of them. They could easily be your your big baddie at the end of a campaign that you are trying to gain allies to defeat for whatever reason. Um, the undying counselors <laughs> and undying soldiers over there really handy with yeah. all that radiant. Yeah, <laughs> radiant. Yeah. I would get them and free Tessa. And that's like, that's your only shot. That's it. (laughs) Though your guys were in Aberon and these are in Ravnica. I still would jump a portal to get over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And maybe one of the big things that you have to figure out is how to make a portal large enough or hold it open long enough to have the army move through. And it's like something that has never been done before you are mixing worlds that should never have been mixed but for the greater good (laughs) (laughs) and it could go both ways depending on which side you're on maybe (laughs) one side will will is that is the bounty is destroying the other good side because they're Mm -hmm. full of radiant and positive energy and it's like this is a big risk to us so if you can take them out yeah. Like we'll help you with it, but you know, mm-hmm. so many things. Oh, yeah. so many things. <laughs> so much to work with. Uh. So, on a scale of one to ten undead sign-in sheets, how would we rank these creatures as part of the undead landscape in the D and D fifth edition? Um, do we want to roll one last time? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I got a twenty, and Mika got a fifteen. <laughs> Ooh. I rolled a two. <laughs> All right. Um, first up, the Undying Soldier. Um, I don't know. These guys are pretty low. They're they're kind of cannon foddery. Um, you know, their their job is to really just be in your way and and die eventually. I think. So yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they've got what a twenty six health. Like yeah. Um, compared compared to the other ones, they're you know, it'd be fun for your low level characters to get a taste of what what's to come in the campaign. But um, overall, I'd say maybe a three or four. Yeah, same three or four. Like these are, I hate to use the word filler, but like these are just like, you know, your soldiers because they're soldiers and we need soldiers here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, about a four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a, a huge leap above just a regular old skeleton, but definitely it's like more dangerous in masses, but an AO like an area of effect could wipe them out pretty quickly and easily to just get mm-hmm. them out of the way. Three. We'll three. put it out of three. Yeah. Um undying counselors. Um like I said, I enjoyed the twist of giving undead that are good um, mm-hmm. or radiant versus the necrotic we normally see. So I liked that flavor on them. I'd say maybe a seven. Um, I would say an eight, um, only because if I was coming up against these guys, they would be terrifying. And I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, eight seems fair. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll say nine. I'll say nine. 
It's the it's that big burst of like radiant energy mm-hmm. that's just like you know the channeling the sun. That's a pretty cool move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that like cylinder the the cylinder that they can drop and just like burst out as well. I really don't consider fighting against these right <laughs> so it's, it's like no but they would be on our side yeah again <laughs> unless you're playing an evil campaign I know. you know yeah yeah and so thinking about like especially if you are an evil or like like a lich scenario or something and that you are in this encounter this is an extremely dangerous foe for you so yeah eight all said and done eight i'm landing on eight (laughs) that's where we're at um all right the carnathy undead soldiers i will say if you come up against one then you know maybe maybe a five if you come up against the army then like an eight (laughs) because then you get the pack tactics and like just so many so many of them doing what three shots at a time yeah that multi-attack is yeah devastating and yeah. again like i don't i don't know why you'd come up against just one so <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna say an eight it's the pack tactics that get me like mm-hmm. working together and y'all know what the other one's doing and then what the, that one over there is gonna do no it's gonna get an eight from me <sighs> hmm. does the masses of the carnathi undead soldier outweigh a single undying counselor <laughs> or equal <laughs> I'm going to say seven. I'm going to say, yes, they're beefy. They have multi-attack, but Mm -hmm. their skills are generally limited overall. So, yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. All right. And the Obzadet Ghost Council. Um, Off. (laughs) (laughs) I want to give them both a one and a ten because I hate them and I love them. I'm the, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I like. I hate how close to home they hit, but also like, there's so much you can do here. Like, we all came up with so many ideas that, as a DM, yeah. like you can use these in so so many different ways, and I think that you can flavor them to be outside of Ravnica. Even you know, um, if you had a homebrew game, I think that you could homebrew them and give them a bit of a twist to to meet your world. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they could be the big bad of your of your campaign. So I think they'd be a 10 on that. But I also hate who they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, like I absolutely hate them. It's like <laughs> it's like their whole where they are in the whole society is just so petty to me. So I'm giving it like a 10. <laughs> like these are yeah. Yeah. Out of I hate them. They get a 10. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we make the rules here on how yes. we say it. <laughs> yeah, I have fought enough ghosts and been traumatized by enough ghost encounters that these are an 11. Like yeah. it's just, <laughs> They ghosts are so horrible. <laughs> and these ones with this many abilities and like powers and oh my gosh, like there i i don't see how you can beat them <laughs> to be honest no so yeah maxed maxed on that. 
Well, now it's time to close the crypt on this part of our conversation on Undead in D&D 5th edition. Stay tuned next time when we expand on the concepts of undead warriors by looking at those who return to the mortal coil to keep on fighting. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com. And if you'd like to discuss what you've heard here today, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at r slash itsamimic. For other episodes on other kinds of monsters, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. information so i just though. am imagining adam shaking his head at all of us saying everything <laughs> wrong yeah. the whole time yes yeah. and yeah like every time we say the word the, and pronounce it wrong he uh-huh. says out loud the correct <laughs> just in his, like looking in his at office the <laughs> <laughs> just frustrated he'll be fine <laughs> or not we try we did our best <laughs> Okay. All right, recording. Woohoo! Success. Do yeah. it. Thank you, Adam, and thank you, Meg. <laughs> One day we will be independent. Today <laughs> is not that day. Today is not that day. Not that, day. Not that recording. <laughs> that only happens when Megan's with us. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and then she's the one with the tech issues on her microphone. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we never yeah. look as bad. Yeah. <laughs> there you this go. This is the first time we've all logged in and been able to hear each other right off the bat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> progress. Oh We're making progress, ladies. <laughs> Getting there. Getting there. <laughs> <laughs> And I also, so talking about the pronunciation stuff, I feel like Mm -hmm. I just want to put a disclaimer in the intro of, like, (laughs) we are going to be covering a lot of unique names and terminology, so just be Mm -hmm. extra kind. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to say 20 words wrong. I just... (laughs) Yeah, let's get that out the way. Just so you all know, it's going to be all completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I love how Adam added one. One like, of the words. And it's probably one of the easiest one. words. <laughs> it's like, oh, my Lanta. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like that it's specifically colored for me and Mika. <laughs> yes.
Yes, I love that too. Right. I knew I, noticed right away. I'm like, yeah. oh, he, he's <laughs> like, you, help me help you. Yeah. He'll gonna mess it up. So yeah. you know what? <laughs> it's not gonna be right, anyways. <laughs> All right, one quick drink of water. Mm-hmm. One last bite of muffin. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> oh, I'm still chewing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said muffin, but you're eating it with a spoon. It's a fork. It's, oh, a, pro- it's a protein muffin from oh. like Kodiak. So you microwave it in the little thing. So you can't just like. Oh, yeah. With your hands. It's about. like it's in a cup. I get it. <laughs> Internet. Thank you. <laughs> I don't eat regular muffins with spoons. I promise. <laughs> hmm. New weird things we learn about peps. <laughs> it's Not- an Ohio thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> there's a sound. There's a sound bite for everybody. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> for this, for this. Okay, let me calm down. <laughs> oh, good start. Good start. Good start. <laughs> all right well let's raise some dice i'm rolling in the same range all the time today are we rolling dice or are we talking about my undead soldiers first oh yeah you gotta talk about your undead soldiers oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) roll too far i'm not not done yet (laughs) i was wondering i was like oh we're talking about just the lore (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry it's an Ohio thing. Don't worry about 